Hello and welcome back to the Champagne Rugby Podcast. I'm joined today with my co-host Adam Malone and Ben John, aka the Rugby Trainer, who is known for having played for the Ospreys for over ten, around a decade, and nowadays he's blowing up on Instagram and all over social media with his rugby training tips and tricks. So, Adam, Ben, how are you guys doing? I'm great, thanks, Hamish. It's great to see Ben here. Of course, we've all seen him on our Instagram feeds lately, so it's good to see the man behind the camera. Ben, how are you? Yeah, cool, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on, firstly. I uh, really appreciate for the message and asking um, yeah, for me to come on. So, yeah, thank you. And, uh, yeah, just probably fed up with my voice, my nose, my face, everything. Is it? <laughs> ben, it, it's... But, um, it, go on. I was just going to say, it's like a start of a joke here, isn't it? Like, we've got the Englishman, Irishman, the Welshman. <laughs> all sat in the podcast together usually it's uh, whoever jumped out the plane first it's like the Irishman, the Englishman and then the Welshman or something like that <laughs> so you've you've we just moved get Jim Hamilton on get the Lions going yes <laughs> so you've just moved back to uh, Wales you were saying there Ben uh, you moved from London and how are you settling back, settling in back in your home country yes um so yeah i was up in so as soon as i retired i was up in london for four or five years something like that um and then yeah recently just moved back to cardiff um for a few months just to um renovate my flat back here and hopefully save a bit of money but since we've literally moved back to cardiff all the prices of the trains have gone up and we travel quite a bit back and forth to london so it's been a killer on uh, on the saving part but yeah it's been nice to to be back in in cardiff seeing a lot of our friends and family so especially over christmas period as well um yeah it's been quite nice to be back back in the home country it's always it's always good to see so so for the um, so the for the people that haven't seen you on instagram how would you introduce yourself? How did you get into rugby? Like, what what brought you into rugby in the in the sort of first place when you're growing up, wee lad? Oh, so um, so first, firstly, I got an older brother, and he done he played all the sports and whatever he played. Um, yeah, I would do exactly the same. And he started rugby, and uh, at the time, there's a local team by me. It's called Lucker. Um, that they started a team, so I jumped on there and I enjoyed it. Um, I had to, had to manage that with cricket and football and all the other sports that I try to do to stay out of class. Um, so yeah, rugby all the way through then to about 16, and then I got picked up uh, by the Ospreys, um, age grade, uh, played all the age grades from 16s, 18s, and um. At the 18s level, then I got selected to go into the academy. So it was a few of us in the academy. Um, one of the uh, Irish nationals, uh, Rhys Ruddock, was in the academy with uh, with me. So I was uh, pretty cool. Um, yeah, so um, in the academy and then, yeah, played age grade. So that's 20s, uh, Wales 20s, Wales 18s, and played my first, um, first professional match uh, for Ospreys at 18. Um, and then, yeah, played all the way through to the age of about 26 and retired um, due to concussion. So retired, moved then straight to, to London. It was, uh, it was a funny one, actually. Literally in the space of a week, I retired, moved to London. I got married all in the same uh, couple of uh, in the same week. So uh, that was a bit of a, a 
talk to the uh, the system, play all my cards in the week, which is <laughs> um, <laughs> moved to London. And then um, I started to be a personal trainer then. So it was a gym in London, really cool gym that um, I found, which is called Manor, which is in the center of London, um, trained with them. Um, and then I became the head coach there. And then uh, lockdown happened then. So it was a, it was a three years um, post-retirement to to lockdown. Um, yeah, uh, lockdown. And then um, I sat in the house and I'd be like, right, if I was a kid, if I was a, a 10-year-old, I would not be doing press-ups or anything like that. So what I would be doing is throwing a tennis ball around, driving my mom and dad mad, smashing things probably. So I just decided then to to do like some sort of live on Instagram. I was like, right, uh, this Friday, follow this little live session, which is me with a tennis ball, a rugby ball, doing some skills. And then um, started building from that really. And then um, I knew as well, a lot of the Welsh play- or a lot of the players would be off. Uh, so they won't be playing at all. So I messaged them like, um, like Jane, uh, Lee Halfpenny, um, who also came on, uh, James Hook came on, I think. Yeah, a few, few of the Welsh lads came on. Uh, Reese Webb, Ashley Beck, uh, they all came on and did a live session with me. So then the kids can like train with a professional rugby player and have a chat and get some tips across. And yeah, first lockdown finished. And um, I then decided to quit my job and give the rugby trainer stuff a go. And uh, at the time, I, I, yeah, picked a name. Me and my wife uh, found a name, the rugby trainer. I Googled it and it hadn't been taken. I was like, oh my God. I first actually went into the rugby trainer, just being a personal trainer for rugby in a super niche. But um, I started off like that because I, I didn't really know the skill stuff would have would have taken off. And uh, I kind of just adapted to what the people on social media were enjoying mostly. And um, yeah, just that's how it just started to evolve that way. So it's kind of like, organic i thought i'd just give it a go and um just ride the wave for the first couple of months uh which has been pretty cool so ben you mentioned there that you went straight into to being a personal trainer so had you already planned for your life after you'd obviously done a course or something uh where did you go to college for that or yeah so um in um well, at the time, my my uh, girlfriend at the time, Christy, she was living away. She lived in London. I lived in in Wales. So we did like a long distance thing and uh, I had loads of spare time. So I literally did as many courses as I can. So I did like a barista course or making coffee, latte art course. Um, I did, um, what else did I do? Um, went to, I did some uh, years at college doing um, sports coaching. I did all that. Um, also, I did personal training and then, the retirement came quite sudden then and I kind of like what do I like doing I like personal I like doing a bit of fitness so I'll do personal training so it's kind of like I didn't really plan for retirement kind of like fell obviously fell into it and just had to pick something that was in my um yeah in my little bag that I had um looking back now I wish I planned properly and had something solid to to start with because um yeah as soon as I retired I, I knew I had to had to work really hard and graft and obviously that's, that comes with it with with everyone but um what i mean is have something that i would 
fall back into and something that I, it's like concrete really rather than just being like oh I'll be a personal trainer not knowing for a while that I, I, re- I do really enjoy it or, or, or whatnot so um yeah I wish I if I could look back now I planned it probably and actually stayed a few more years in uni maybe as well what what was yeah. the uh, most difficult part of that transition from going from professional rugby player to online rug- personal trainer rugby trainer for, for you during that I mean obviously with lockdown and everything so initially when I first went over to um to personal training I the gym I joined which was uh, manner there was a lot of ex-professional like fighters and boxers and it was a MMA fighter boxer there's different sports um so we had that camaraderie so we had like you walk in the gym and one of the guys Ryan would just abuse you straight away and that just felt like exactly like a rugby environment. You go in there, you have a new haircut, and then straight away he's getting straight into you. So it was uh, it was quite nice to have that. And then as soon as then I, I obviously lockdown happened and I, I started doing more rugby, like started the rugby training stuff. All my time then after that then was just on my own, and I found that was quite difficult because I'm so used to being around people, even training. Like I'm so used to training with people. Um, and I found that quite difficult. Obviously, the the videos I filmed are all on my own. Uh, like the early ones, there's no one there, and I'm like in a rugby ground in Dulwich, and it's just me on my own. Um, so I spent a lot of time on my own. And I found that was quite hard because I did miss the social side of it. Um, and obviously, it was lockdown as well, so I was going home to to being on my own as well. So um, yeah, that that was probably the hardest part. Um, and the, the good thing with London as well that. If you go to the centre of London, which my gym was located, is zero rugby. There's literally no rugby at all in the in smack in the middle of London. So it was just all football. So I was out of the the rugby bubble as well. I was just focusing on what was next, what was next. Um, so I didn't really miss rugby. Also, as well, I, I retired early, so I was kind of like gutted with that. So yeah, I didn't think about rugby at all until yeah, until I had to slow down and uh, um, take a little bit of time with, with when when lockdown happened. Yeah, and you mentioned um, so like that's obviously where you got to after your career. So let's go on to your career itself. So you made your debut around eighteen for Ospreys, wasn't it? Yes, um, yeah, around eighteen. Uh, it was against Leeds, Leeds Carnegie, I think it was. Um, um, yeah, it's not. It was a Yorkshire. Anyway, Leeds Carnegie. It was, it was, I was on the bench. Um, came on the wing. I think I did. I had to admit the, the tops are so baggy on me. I had to use the old school tape to tape the arms up to make sure it <laughs> looked pretty tight to my arms. Um, Mike Phillips top match, did he? Mike, yeah, exactly. I saw all the, uh, the Galacticos doing it and I thought I'd uh, I'd give it a go. But yeah, I remember uh, coming on the pitch on the winger and it was quite cool actually that Ospreys at the time had some superstars, um, some, some amazing players and... Uh, Number eight was Jerry Collins, and one of our players got yellow card. One of our flankers did, so I had to pack down in the scrum with uh, with with Jerry Collins, which was uh, just pretty cool. He had to tell me exactly where to go, um, but yeah, it was pretty pretty special moment. So, what what was one of your obviously that's quite quite big moment playing alongside Jerry Collins, like such a legend of the sport. What was some of your what was one of your greatest moments in a in Os- an Ospreys jersey there? Um, so 
We uh, we also have a, a cool little day. It's called Judgment Day, where all the regions play in one day in Millennium Stadium, and um, a big crowd. It was yeah, massive crowd, about 50, 40, 40, 50,000 there, which was quite cool. Um, so that day was good. I had um, a couple of good performances during uh, Judgment Day, and it was also that I think it was that season where we got to the semi final of the um, the league, and we played Munster out in Munster, and. We scored to win the game right at the end and we were through to the final. But um, obviously the referee looked back and there was a little knock on a few phases back, which stopped us from the try actually being allowed. But that, that season, we, we did excellent. We were really good that year. And I think that um, was um, was a cool year for myself because I, I did have a few good performances back to back. And I did kind of cement my place as the 13 then in the team and um, actually strung a few games together whereas usually I used to get injured I used to call me one game because uh, I would play a game and just get injured um, and hold off until my contract was coming I play one game and I'll have half, half a decent game and I'll sign a new contract um, but uh, yeah so it was nice to have a few games in a row and play um, regularly as well That's brilliant and uh, you mentioned playing Munster away there so, like, in terms of um, an atmosphere or a crowd, what was your favourite away stadium to visit? Oh, um, the Irish ones. Um, lo- yeah, I loved playing in Munster and Leinster. Again, the RDS was class, literally. Uh, there was a few games that I played on the wing there and I'm standing on the touchline and literally they're, they're, they're sitting on top just above you there on your shoulder, just hurling about here <laughs> when the ball goes up in the air. And, uh, you know, good the Irish uh, players are under the high ball as well. So, um, yeah, those the Irish places are always special to go uh, go and play. We always had a thump in, but um, it's always always nice to get out there. But it, at least you had players in your team like Alan Wynne-Jones, George North, Dan Bigger. They, they were in your corner. So you, you didn't, you weren't, totally in the dark when it came against the the Irish uh, powerhouses of Munster and Leinster and Ulster. Um, sorry, Connacht there. Um, what was it like having uh, these guys in the locker room and on the, tra- on the training before the game and during the game and everything like that? Yeah, it was, um, like you mentioned, um, Dan Bigger, Reese Webb as well, and Alan Wynne-Jones, Justin Tipperick, they were, the, the, the standard they set in training is, is massive and, the, and they just... Yeah, demand a high high level in in every training session. You can see why there's such a um, they've had such a successful period over the last ten years with Wales and um, uh, sometimes with with the Ospreys as well. And and when they go elsewhere, it's just their mentality in training is just yeah pushing themselves. And even when we used to play, like obviously back a few years ago when the, the Italian sides weren't as strong as they are now, even those games uh, like Allen win would be focus straight on this is like a cup final every game is 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 a is a must win and a high level of, um of performance output from from the mall and it, it, when they used to go away with wales then you could feel the difference as well when they left not not obviously the skill level but also the the demand of a high level um if a ball went down when when the wales wales boys were away not many people would say anything whereas if they were there you'd get it straight away come on for example ben sort it out, work on it, know your role, that sort of thing. You get it straight away and you know you just have to switch on from the start, which was uh, which was really cool and it le- learned a lot from from that. Yeah, you must you must have had a lot of accountability, I mean, to firstly be in a professional squad, so you've got to really prove yourself in that position. What what were like some of the 
most memorable or inspirational things uh, that might, you mentioned Alan Wynne-Jones there, one of the most inspirational things that Alan Wynne-Jones might have said to you or said in one of the pre-match speeches or anything like that, because he's, he's obviously such a legend of the game. Oh, the, one of the most capped players of all, if not the, he is the most capped player of all time now for for Wales and in, worldwide. Yeah, yeah, incredible player. And I think with Al, the um, most inspirational thing he does is if you if you watch him on the pitch, he's always like the first of the line out, or he's the first to a like a scrum where it's set about thirty meters away from him. He's He's always there first, and he and he always wins. He, everything's a, a competition in in those parts of the game. And I wouldn't say I can't really remember um, a specific speech that he said, but that is the thing that sticks out in my mind is him on the pitch being a leader by being there first. He's probably made about twenty five tackles just before that line out, and he's the first one there. He's beaten beating a lot of the, the the backs to a certain area or a one or so I would say that would probably be the most motivational picking my head up and seeing Alwyn there's first I, we need to get with him we need to go forward with him that's interesting some of the things you said there because you were talking about um Reese Webb and Dan Bigger holding everyone accountable uh Alwyn's leadership like I think of back then like the late or the early 2010s like it was a transition in the Ospreys a bit, wasn't there? You went from like your Mike Phillips, your James Hooks, your Gavin Henson's, Ryan Jones, all the fake tan, all the different boots, the spiky hair. Then it's kind of a shift in mentality. How did you feel that yourself as a player? Yeah, so um I was I was very young with the when the those original players were there. So I would have been about 18, 19. Um and I wasn't good enough at that time to be in the, the first team. I was I was always playing in the semi-professional um role. So um uh but yeah, with the I was in the academy with all those boys, with um the the guys you mentioned with Dan Bigger and all that, and just the the standard of players in the academy was was incredible. Um and we used to obviously train against the 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 old school team as well so we would always have um we have to be like high level we have to throw the ball around we have to have our standards really high and just being in the same environment as them we used to do backs moves against them and trying to defend their backs moves every week and uh from that i just show it just give us a bit of a um an eye opener into what they were doing how they were having their standards so high so it's quite a good um good thing to learn via that and then they just took it on then yeah it must have been incredible to be a back and you're training against the likes of Shane Williams James Hook Gavin Henson Tommy Bow, Lee Byrne like yeah, British Irish Lions like yeah like what was like you you mentioned training there can you give us a little insight like what was the game of that academy team like yourself Reese Webb Dan Bigger like proper, like bona fide stars, like versus the boys who are the Lions at the moment. Like, what was training like? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, looking back now, yeah, it was, it was an incredible experience. I remember like walking upstairs, and ju- obviously Justin Marshall just signed as well, and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> crazy. Um, yeah, that, that that just being around that was is is amazing, and the confidence it gave you as well when you when you did play against them and you made half a break or you uh, you did something well, 
uh, and you're playing against some of the best players in the world. And I thought um, that was quite cool to look back on now. Um, didn't didn't really think about it at the time, but yeah, looking back now, it was quite cool to, to get that experience and just to learn the little things like Tommy Bow, like his ability um, just to read a defense and just fly up and just take those interceptions was, was incredible. Um, obviously, Shane Williams is, yeah, the tick last year. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, um, it was quite a cool, um, and as well as that, defending it as well and understanding, right, these guys are the best in the game. If we can defend them, then yeah, we can defend anything. So, um, that, that was quite cool. And just the, the detail that the detail they have in every play was, was very interesting and where they needed to be and the angles of running and how they will influence the, like, for example, how usually you try and attack like a 13 and try and put a lot of pressure on them. So the angles of running someone like Sonny Parker would run to try and cut back in to try and turn my shoulder. Um, that, that was, um, it's quite cool to, 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 to yeah, think about and learn from. Yeah. Like, and I always think of like, what was Shane Williams like at training? Like, was he a very vocal person who'd tell you here, Ben, you should have turned your shoulders here or there. Or was he just, magic did he just do whatever he wanted and never thought about it or vocalized it what kind of guy was Shane Williams in the dressing room yeah he was yeah he was definitely um that team was yeah but that's one thing I did notice when I went on to that pitch is uh like that trainer pitch that's just the sheer volume um it's just so loud everyone knows what they're doing everyone's talking everyone's communicating um and funnily enough I played football with Shane Williams a few uh weeks ago um for a charity game and he, oh, incredible. He's still, still carving up gas, um, just in and out of, we were playing against a football team as well, like a lot of ex-footballers and yeah, he didn't look out of place. He was, he's yeah, such a talent. Um, but yeah, people like, um, one of my heroes growing up as a kid was James Hook and he moved away from the Ospreys when, um, when I was young and I was coming through and then he came back then towards the end of his career. And yeah, just to play alongside him was incredible because I used to try and take a lot of tips from him, just his movement on and off the ball. Um, so it was, it was just awesome just to to play alongside him. Yeah, I used to love hooking Henson as well. Hooking Henson, uh, yeah. Yeah, Henson was the man. All the, the boys on my rugby team we saw as we laughing at me, being like, oh, go on, Henson. Because <laughs> yeah, obviously, yeah. as you can see, the hair Yeah, yeah, mate, I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> It'll gel up like I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you manage to, what was the, like the main lessons that you took from these, these guys and that you've now implemented, not in, into your own game, but also into your training strategy? Um, yeah, one thing um picked up from Sonny Parker is, is even if he made a mistake, it doesn't really matter. Um, it was just all about just living in the moment. If he didn't make a mistake, uh, for example, he wouldn't stop himself like if he's an offload mistake, he wouldn't stop himself um, from that offload. He would then just think, right, okay, I did that because of X, Y, was it the right decision? Or was it just poor execution? And then he'd make a decision from that. And then from that, then uh, it wouldn't stop him from offloading. He would just think, right, I just need to work on my offloading or maybe just read the picture a little bit better. So um, you just, I, that's one thing I did pick up is the, their confidence in, in their own ability, whether they've done something well or not. Um, they they'll still back themselves the next play, so they would always be um, thinking about the next thing that's happening, rather than even if something went well, even if they've done something really well, um, he would still like be calm and collected and just play that play as it is, rather than using his 
excitement or his disappointment from that previous play, if, if that makes sense. So, Ben, what, what does a typical week look like for you nowadays, going from rug, rug, professional rugby player to now the rugby trainer? So, yeah, from rugby, um, I used to think I was really disciplined and uh, super disciplined. I'd always get it done and super, um, yeah, switched on with that. And then since moving away from rugby and the further away I'm getting from rugby and even with the PT side of it, I because I, I was in the gym, I had class times and I had to be in a certain certain time in a certain place. And um, I found that out that as soon as I lose the structure, and I have to rely on myself to do the structure. I found it is really difficult, and it's kind of like I'm disciplined. If I'm told to do something, I'll always do it, and I'll I'll do it consistently. Whereas if I have to plan my own thing, I find it really difficult. So the self discipline was was the tough one. So I decided to um, hire a marketing manager. Well, he's well, whatever he is, he's, he does a lot uh, a lot for me. So I call him marketing manager. It's easier. Um, so every Monday we'd sit together and we would like plan the week out and um, we'll just brainstorm and yeah. And he helps me with a little bit of structure. And then after that meeting, then I'll spend another half hour, an hour planning my week. And that would be structuring my content, structuring my uh, coaching sessions, plan. I, I still do like online PT as well. So um, do all my PT structure for the week um and also plan content for um like some other videos not just my like I, i've got a skills academy as well so i'll plan videos for that and i'll plan the f- so there's a lot of planning but it all starts from that accountability i have early on um so that is something i find is very helpful for me because it's straight away then I, if i get told oh, this is your plan i'll be i'll be straight into it then i can i can get it done um, but it's one thing I have started implementing now, I was saying to Adam earlier, is um, every morning I've decided from when I wake up, so I wake up about 20 past five and I uh, start work at about eight o'clock. So in between that time, I try to get everything sorted for myself, nothing to do with work, more to do with me personally, physically and mentally. So I would go to the gym uh, early in the morning, I'll do like an hour in the gym. And then after that, then I'll... Um, I'll make make breakfast for myself, my wife. I'll water the plants as well. Um, uh, water the plants. I will also uh, do a bit of journaling in the morning, and I would read a couple of pages uh, of a book. Uh, not many. It takes me a while to read, so uh, I probably get through three pages because um, I have to read it about four times. Uh, but yeah, so everything, and I try and get everything done before eight. That's me sorted then. And then from there, um, I know I'm into work then and I can just fully switch on to work from eight till whenever I finish in the evening. Um, so that is kind of building my structure. But the one thing is if I, I do miss Alex on a Monday, if he's on holidays or he's too busy or I'm too busy or whatever, and we don't have that Monday, it, um, yeah, carnage then. I go uh, I go rogue and I just uh, do whatever I want type of thing. So I need that Monday morning just to, to get me in the right mindset for the week. Win the morning, win the day, isn't that what they say? <laughs> but, uh, so you can definitely empathize with your clients and the personal training side in the discipline, like, couldn't you? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's just, yeah, it is. It's just having some someone, and that's why I think everyone needs 
someone to hold them accountable, whether it's a coach, like if, if I, I'm a coach, I, I have someone I speak to a lot with either through Alex or other coaches. So I think even if you are a coach, you still need someone to talk to and to even like a mentor type of thing. So um, I think having someone there with you, it makes a, it makes a big difference. Yeah. And um, what you said there was very interesting about having your own time in the morning before you start work. Like, is that something you'd, um, you'd tell your clients to do as well? Kind of set off a time for a bit of me time, a bit of journaling, a bit of reading a book so that they can get themselves going in the day. Would you recommend that to your clients as well? Or Yeah, definitely. I'd start off with recommending them to do something that they enjoy um, and make sure they, they do book a time out for that. And that can be, um, yeah, that can be just, yeah, going for a walk, going for a run or um, whatever, watching a little bit of TV, bit, bit of them time to start with. Um, so definitely would would recommend that. Um, and then you can build from that. It depends on what they want and what they're, they're their problems are not problems, but what they find difficult. So if it's sleep, then we'd have to have a look at sleep. That's what my PT days is just looking at people's sleep because it has such a big impact on performance as well. So the, the PT stuff has definitely helped with my coaching side as well. Um, so that's been a, a, a good pos- uh, benefit from doing that. If uh, someone was having trouble with their sleep, like what are the aspects you'd look at? Would you look at like their diet or their training, both? Um, so I would have a look at firstly, what is, what you do in the evenings? What is your, your routine? So I'd ask you straight away. I won't change anything just yet. Just the next three or four days, write down everything you do before take note, what you do before bed, where's your phone in relation to your bed, how long you're on your phone in the night, what time do you go to bed? What time do you wake up? Cause the first thing I w- would like you to start with is, can you wake up the same time every morning? Um, cause that is, that has a big impact if you are. Um, if you're waking up at seven, one morning, nine, the next morning, and then five, and then you're up and down, then that's when you start feeling foggy and feeling tired. Whereas if we can just get you waking up same time every day, um, that makes a, a, that'll make a big benefit. Um, firstly on how you feel in the mornings. And then from there, then we can have a look at other things. Like I mentioned, how long you watching TV in the night? Are you, um, are you on your phone late at night? Um, how close is the phone to your bed? Um, darkness as well in the room um yeah and have a look from there so so what is, is it you that uh having an issue sleeping yeah i always well i'm not having too many issues but um i have been listening to a few podcasts with sleep coaches on and they're all promoting the whoop product and things like that but um something you said there that's interesting that they didn't really press on you're on with the phone next to your bed like what different like obviously that means you're on your phone but what else would that impact um if the phone is there you're going to check it if you have a little vibration you're going to check it as soon as you wake up you're going to check your phone um so it's always there and it's always in the front of your mind so what i do is uh, um i try to keep my phone out of the room totally so i won't check it at all because how many times um do you mindlessly just have a look at your phone and that light off the phone then um, will just make your brain think, oh, I'm awake now. Um, this is what I've read anyway. Um, yeah. So, uh, and, and it seems to work. But um, yeah, so the, the light on the phone just makes you more alert, more awake, um, and then it's harder to get back to bed. And then you, 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 you yeah, you disrupt then your sleep uh, patterns. Yeah, that's that's cool because I always instinctively put my phone outside my room 
Or when I was in college, I used to have an alarm clock and all the boys be laughing at me because my phone <laughs> would be downstairs. But I just instinctively was like, no, if the phone is there, it will impact my sleep. And yeah. just to hear it from a, a PT there now is cool, yeah, you know? Brilliant. Yeah, because we've got um, an alarm clock. Somehow it has no impact on my wife at all. She sleeps through it. But it's like a, an alarm clock. It's called, I think it's called Lumni, where it just lights up. So as the morning rises, if my alarm's at like 20 past five, um, at five o'clock, you're stuck in lighter and lighter and lighter until 20 past this like morning. Um, so that's that helps me definitely. It doesn't help her. She sleeps through it. So I don't know how uh, she does it, but fair play. Um, yeah, so that I, I would say I'd recommend that. It's a pretty cool piece of kit. Lumi, is it? Lumi, L U M I, I think. Yeah, it's quite a cool kit. I'll look yeah. it up. Yeah. Thanks. So, what, what does like a typical. <clears throat> what would you advise to a young player that's kind of looking to break into the professional atmosphere and let's say they, they've been playing really good rugby, let's say under 16s or something, they're looking to break <laughs> in and become professional. What what sort of piece of advice would you have uh, for these players? Ooh, um, good question because there's so many factors in that. Um, but what I would say is if they are playing well, um and they are 16 then and they're not in like an academy or anything like that they're not in like Munster Academy or whatever this but I would say then the next thing is the school what school can you go to can you go to a good school where you're playing against top players and can you then actually compete against them and still stand uh head and shoulders above them and still play well and I think it'll just be that building block is if 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 you're not um in an academy setup then schools are are great next and if you're not in a in a in a top class school then um in the rugby in a in a, in a different school or in a um in a club and just making sure you're performing week in week out because even though you're 16 and you don't make it 16 then it doesn't matter there's a lot of opportunities because if you, when you get to about 18 19 probably 19 20 that's when you kind of get a good understanding of how good a player is going to be um, so if you do miss out on a 16, keep going and make sure if you do um, have a trial or a uh, a period where you're in a very good team and, and you don't and you and you get sent back to another team or whatever, make sure you ask the coach for feedback. Ask them what, what would they think um, you can do better, what areas that you feel like you can work on. Um, so that at least you get something from it um, and you can always progress, even if you do get in. Um, always think as well that people behind you itching for your position as well. So get feedback as well from the coach, even if you do get in um, or get into a, because there's someone always behind you, always chasing you down. So um, yeah, my advice would just keep performing, but making sure you're performing at a, the next level. And if you're doing well, then what's the next level after that? How can you get involved, whether it's school club or um yeah, it'd be school and club if you're not in the academy. Yeah, it's interesting because in life as it is, we're always competing against someone. We you don't know who it is, you don't know where it might be, but like you never know who's working harder than you. So it's always important to like stay on top of your game, like you said, and always look for areas in which you can improve. Do you think that maybe as you were mentioning, like eighteen, nineteen, that's when you're most likely to get picked up into a squad. Do you think <laughs> that what is the kind of like the probabilities for someone, let's say they didn't get picked up from 18 or 19, but they still wanted to be a professional rugby player. What sort of 
advice would you give these players? And what's like specific things could these players that like, let's say they're 23, but they still really want to be a professional rugby player. What sort of things could these players do to then break into the squad? I I know there's some players that did break in a bit later on in their career, but it'd be interesting to see what you have to say from the rugby trainer sort of point of view. Yeah. Um, so, for example, like in the English um, setup, English leagues, the, the championship is very good, Nat one. So can you get into those leagues straight away? And are you playing well in those leagues? And um, if you are at a club in those leagues and you're not playing much, then firstly ask questions to, to your, your coach and how, how you can get into the starting lineup. Um, and if not, have a look elsewhere as well. Because one thing that helped me massively is, when I was playing, uh, I was always in the Ospreys setup, and then I went to the Dragons on loan. And going to the Dragons on loan and being in a different environment and seeing different players and sparked a bit of a bit of energy in me and a bit of hunger and will to to, to get better. And um, that little change of environment helped me massively uh, because um, yeah, it was just something fresh, something new. And what I picked up from there, I brought it back with me into uh, the Ospreys and after that then I started performing a lot better I'm not sure what exactly happened but I had a bit more hunger and a bit more of a different perspective as well I think sometimes changing the picture um, can have a a massive impact because of at the end of the day it's it's perspective from other coaches that your head coach might rate you and the other head coach might not rate you so again it's just moving around checking um yeah different position uh different different clubs if you feel like you've been in one place for a long time you're not getting that opportunity yeah something you didn't mention was sevens in the southern hemisphere they utilize sevens very well they develop their physicality if they need to they get fitter or obviously you get a lot more touches to develop your skills so like you'd see a lot of New Zealand players would have been in the Kiwi Sevens. You'd see a lot of Aussies, a few South Africans. Do you think it's an underutilized tool in the Northern Hemisphere? Yes. Um, and not only Sevens, I think I think touch as well. Touch and tag rugby, uh, especially. Those three is something that um, has a high um, high focus on skill because like sevens, you are literally one-on-one in a ruck or in a tackle. You've got to beat that player one-on-one. You've got to tackle them one-on-one. You've got to, you've got to clean someone out with just one bullet, one person. So the, the, the emphasis on the skill is massive. And that's not just you've got so many space and it's the fastest person wins. It is higher up you go, the less space you have on the pitch because players can are a lot more organized. So definitely. And um, in London, um, obviously coming from a rugby union background in Wales, we didn't play much touch at all, zero tag. Uh, and in London, uh, I, I wanted to play some rugby and I couldn't do contact at the time because uh, I retired because of a concussion. And then um, I found somebody asked me, oh, Ben, when do you play tag rugby? And I thought, tag rugby? I'm not playing that game. Um, and then I got introduced into it and absolutely loved it. And I saw the benefit then of 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 tag rugby and how you can create three on twos and how you can have quick hands and how you can you beat people with footwork. And I think from that and seeing the footwork that Southern hemisphere players have like New Zealanders, Kiwis, um, even speaking to, to Marcus Smith, I did some content with him and he said his footwork is coming from obviously watching the sevens boys. Cause he was, 
um, brought up over over that side of the world and seeing the sevens boys. And also he played a lot of touch when he was a young guy and he was just learning sidesteps. And um, I also spoke to um, spoke to Bruce Rehano as well, who is a uh, coach of the uh, Montpellier at the moment. And he said, like, kids learn to do crazy sidesteps in, in New Zealand because they have to avoid the touch. And that's why you see people like um, the the New Zealand wingers just doing some mad sidesteps that you you, um, you you wouldn't have seen over here just because they've all been brought up playing touch, playing tag, playing sevens, where one on one, yeah, it has a has a massive impact on their rugby union game, and you can see that with the forwards as well. Their their forward skill level is so high because a lot of them do play play touch and tag and and whatever. Whereas over here, if if we throw a football to most of our forwards, they can probably do around the world and keep you up bees all day. Um, so yeah, it just shows like growing up playing different sports, and obviously basketball's a lot bigger over there as well. So a lot of their hand eye coordination sports is a lot. Um, is it a lot more of a focus point than than over here? Yeah, and do you think football in Wales has taken a big stronghold now with the qualification, obviously for the World Cup, the Euros before that? Gareth Bale obviously being a Galactico legend. Like, is it a lot? Um, is the football a lot of a bigger deal now than when you were growing up? With that? Um, yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, yeah, um, yeah, football was obviously. It's, I think it's always been a popular sport in Wales with uh, Swansea and Cardiff being in the Prem at one time. Um, you know, it's always been popular, but yeah, rugby's always been like the the national sport. It's, it's it's interesting. Rugby when Wales play is is huge, and then football when Cardiff and Swansea all play that's massive. Where it's um it's quite interesting like the 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 international rugby's big but then the, as the the club side football is big um and yeah football is growing a lot um i'm not really sure on the facts and stuff but um yeah it's it's good to see that uh, the football are doing well and obviously we've got the Gareth Bale legend there <laughs> now i want to transition and ask you what you think about Warren Gatland being appointed to the head coach of Wales what are your thoughts on that? Well, um, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, what was you pointed five weeks ago? And before that, a lot of the, the Welsh regions, I think Osprey's lost six in a row or something like that. And uh, Scarlet's weren't doing very well. And I think it's only Blues that were doing quite well. And all of a sudden now, I think all the Welsh regions are winning every week and they're putting... But they're looking, they're looking good. And uh, I put a tweet out the other day saying I'm actually really excited for the Six Nations now from the last four or five weeks because before Christmas, just after the autumn, so it was going to be a, a long old Six Nations. But now, um, getting Warren back seems have had an effect of having a bit of a buzz. Um, and yeah, it seems like the regions are playing well and really excited now for for the Six Nations. So it's um, yeah. It's, what uh, are your what are your predictions for the Six Nations? Ooh. Oh, it's going to be a good one, though, isn't it? Um, predictions. Come on, Ben. We yeah. Know. yeah. The heart is telling me something. See? <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Well, all on the first game in it, Ireland and Cardiff. <laughs> that would be interesting. Um yeah, I can't look past France doing well. Um, they're gonna. They, it's so hard to call, isn't it? It's such a such a close uh, Six Nations, and when with 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 Wales, when we are 
backs against the wall, you know, we know we come out fighting. So that makes it even more interesting as well. And uh, even Italy are playing really well uh, where their back three are on fire with Ioni and um, um, Capuzzo. Capuzzo, that's Not easy. Can't, so yeah. England are coming last. Is that what I heard? Of <clears throat> England Ooh. are coming last. Nah. Um, yeah, Marcus Smith played well the weekend as well. Um, yeah, very well. Yeah, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. But I'm going to say France probably will win. Um, England well. second. England second. You don't. Do you I, think... Ireland. I, I went for Ireland. Ireland second. Ireland second. So do you think? Do you think Wales will beat Ireland or Ireland will beat Wales? Any game in Cardiff, see, is it's hard to not back Wales, apart from obviously in the autumn when George over there. But um, <laughs> so, but yeah, so, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say for the occasion, I'm gonna say Wales win in uh, in Cardiff. Talking of Georgia, there, what what do you think about a Six Nations regulation promotion system? Because Georgia's had some great results over the last few years against some of these top tier nations. Yeah, that would be. Uh... That would be interesting, but yeah, it's it's a bit. Um, if Wales have one off season, <laughs> it could could be in the second tier. So um, I don't know. Yeah, it would be good. It's always good to have competition, um, especially if Georgia are, are pushing and are pushing to to be at the at the top level as well. It's a bit unfair if they are equally as good as like the um, someone like yeah Italy, Scotland, Wales, that sort of thing. Um, if they get to that point, then yeah, you can't really not put them in 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 that sort of setup so yeah we might have to bring in some sort of relegation uh promotion yeah i think it's a bit of a weird one for me because if you like promotion relegation is obviously needed to grow the game because as you said in wales it's the international game is king not the club game and in rugby it kind of is nice that the internationals are still the top boys mm. but should a wales a scotland ireland england get relegated then there's no triple crown. And that's yeah. so close to our hearts. Like the triple crown is still a big deal. And yeah. the Six Nations is built off these traditions. February, March, triple crowns, Grand Slams, you know, Le Crunch. The histories, yeah. Like, history, yeah. And like, we need to play with it, but then do we ruin the tradition of it? That's my question. Like, what's... What's your take on the tradition of the Six Nations and the promotion relegation? Yeah, so if you think of it, like uh, I've just literally booked a hotel now to go up to Scotland to watch Wales, Scotland up there. Yeah, and imagine, like I love Edinburgh. It is a rugby city. And imagine that not being there, for example, if Scotland ever did relegate and even vice versa, like Cardiff, like how much of a, a rugby city that is. And yeah, um, that would be a big loss. And yeah. Um, yeah, I, people. Yeah, people way more intelligent than me have to make that decision. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it'd be definitely a shame um, to lose that. Hundred percent. And when I was in, I was in Edinburgh there uh, two weeks ago, and we were in a Queen's Cafe. It's the number right. one ranked restaurant in TripAdvisor. Really? We'll go there and get the Scottish breakfast. Michael Quinn's Queen's Cafe. Michael Quinn will serve you, and he actually be working for Guinness at the match. So, really? Queen's Cafe, Edinburgh, Queen's Cafe. yeah. Cafe. A good bit of marketing for Queen's Cafe there. Um, you, I mean, obviously you're saying there, Adam, we're keeping the traditions and everything, but having that promotion regulation, 
we will actually be growing the game in many areas, which which is what rugby is kind of lacking at the moment. We, we need to help grow the game and so that it's accepted through internationally and we build up these big names and big stars and then we can attract more more money into the sport and everything. Uh, but I guess my question for you, Ben, is if you were to grow the game, what, what areas do you think we would need to help improve and grow the game internationally? So, uh, yeah, I've had to think about this um recently actually about because um i look a lot more at how i can get so the main reason for the, the rugby trainer is to it's two things firstly to get people moving get people down the park down the club throwing the ball around um have a bit of fun and actually get active and and doing it through rugby and the next one then would be to upskill them so looking at the first part of that is how we can get more people to the rugby ground and throw the ball around. And I, I think when I touched on touch rugby there um, or non-contact rugby or whatever, I think we could definitely utilize that because it's a really good gateway. Like I had to retire because of injury and what, what could I play? Oh, touch. And I'm back, back our oh, tag. So I play tag at the time back in Wales. Now there's no tag rugby at all. It's only touch. So um, I think we could definitely utilize that. And the cool thing about it is it's mixed as well. I can, we're playing mix and it's a lot more social. And what you can do then is I'd love to see something where every club team has a male, female and mixed touch non-contact game. And what that helps then is encourages people to play that's never played rugby before. And what I'm noticing the, in the tag environment is the new players of the game and the, and the ones who then start playing well in the touch and tag scene then the next step is, oh, what can I play next? And they tend then to go to sevens. They tend to then want to try out sevens because it's the next step and they want to see what's what's next. And uh, and then vice versa, then some people then that finish rugby and don't play full contact rugby because of work commitments and family commitments and stuff, then they can still be involved in the club by playing touch and spending money behind the bar and that sort of thing by playing touch on tag on a Saturday morning or whatever against the local team. And I think that can definitely be a way of keeping players within the club, getting them running around um, because then it's, it's still, still rugby. It's still, and they still invite them people to go and watch rugby then um, because it is, it is that sport they're at the club doing it. And I think that, I don't know how it's going to work, but I'd love to see that. And I think we could definitely start it off with universities. That's a good way of trialing it. Start touch tag leagues, universities, UK wide, see if it grows. Cause that's firstly is the, is the social element in uni people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Getting together, playing, having a few drinks or whatever, yeah. and then build from there. Then if that works, can we do it to local, local communities and areas? And I'd like, I'd like to see it go that way. Um, yeah, but that's now that'll be my yeah. thoughts to start with. It's it's interesting because you really you're you've actually tackled that issue from a very grassroots point of view, saying, Okay, we've got to bring in interest from the grassroots <laughs> point of view. But if we look at sports such as football and basketball, they've got all the, the big names. do you also think it, it's important to bring in uh let's say like um big like bring in some big names in, into the rugby hemisphere and like who who would you see as these i think they've started building like some big names i, I saw a i saw a documentary or like something that rugby pass is doing recently with they're they're collaborating with um 
with a recruitment company sort of thing that's called Rock Nation, and they've brought out uh, like a mini doc with Alice Genge, Sirkud EC, Cheslin Corby. I don't know if you've seen this or anything. What What do you think about bringing in big names as well as another strategy to try and grow the game? And what What are your thoughts on the the documentary that they've kind of the the series that they're doing there? If you've seen it at all, I uh, haven't seen the series, but I think. One thing I've noticed in the last two years is since doing, um, like when I started the, the rugby trainer, I had a look at who, like getting influence from people and having a look at what can I, who can I follow type of thing and get a good little insight into social media for rugby. And there wasn't, it was only rugby bricks at the time that was doing anything to do with rugby social media wise. And I looked at football and there was hundreds of like hundreds of football not influencers, but creators that were doing cool things with football or do this down the park or, or whatever, or showing behind the scenes in, in football clubs. And and the same thing with basketball and, and NFL. There's a lot of that. And uh, over the last two years, it's, it's, it's awesome to see it grow so much in the, the social media. And I think that's how my page has grown a lot. It's because rugby now is starting to look into using social media to get to know the players. And I think that is something that, can definitely be tapped into is I want to know what I want to know what someone like Ellis Genge is doing day to day in, in the gym because he's an absolute monster I want to know what he's doing in the gym and it'd be so interesting to hear that and I think these documentaries is 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 what we want and I know Netflix um is a Netflix that have just signed some sort of six nations deal and getting that That's behind the, the scenes is going to be madness so thing that I think that's what people want to see they've seen drive to survive and that works with um, F1. Like, I'm not a big F1 fan. I literally love that program just because you get to see behind the scenes, you get to see how 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 mad that sport is where they're, they're driving so fast. And if somebody's on the tyre and they don't change it quick enough, they're sacked because they've just killed the team by one second and they've ended up losing the race by X amount. So it's really interesting stuff. And I think that's what rugby needs. And I think utilising social media for that, um, like... Is is it would be yeah ma- massively beneficial. Like the rugby guy does awesome stuff because it's fun, it's funny, it's yeah, it just encourages you to, to have throw the ball around with you with your kids and stuff. It's, stuff like that is 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 what what's gonna help grow the game. I I feel with uh, yeah with yeah with with rugby, and I think is still a long way to go with rugby. Is a lot of um, I think England do it really well. Um, what's the name of the England little O two? Behind the, behind scenes, the scene, it? yeah, yeah, that oh, was yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, that that's really good. I think it's is it um, behind the line or something? Oh, behind the line, that's the line. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah so things like that. Something you mentioned there now about the series, the Netflix series for rugby, like drive survive. <coughs> what you said, we, we hold on to is it controversy, the aggression, the how outward everything is in Formula One. It's cutthroat. Do you think that if in the rugby series they act the same way, do you think people are question rugby values? Do you think rugby values are slightly outdated in that regard then? How do you think it's going to go down? Yeah, I think it's good. Like the Living with the Lions sort of stuff, we love love watching them. Um, and it's just getting getting behind the scenes, getting the, the talks before the 
um, before the games and what people say to each other and how 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 players act before the game and the, the motivational chats before the game. I think that is something that we we would like to see. Obviously, with um, with with rugby, obviously it won't be access to everything because um, there's a lot of um, lot of tactics and stuff. So obviously it would be edited out um, or restrictions on certain things. I I think anyway, but um, it'd just be good to see um, that side of things, like the build up for games and um, what a player's working on or what the, what the coach is saying to players in the training session when they've just played Island the weekend and they've beaten them in the line out. How are they gonna? How are they going to yeah, change their strategy? So I think that that sort of thing would be would be good. It'd be interesting to see how they do it because with Drive to Survive, the first series, they just followed one or two um, people around. And after that series ended, all, all the big names wanted to be involved then because it did so well. So um be interesting to see how they do it. Do they follow three people or one person from each camp around? I, I don't know. So what do you think? Yeah, I, I'd love to see, like, I'd love them to follow around, like, Tyg Farlang, Owen Farrell, Finn Russell, mm. uh, I probably pick Capuzzo then from Italy because he's kind of the up and comer. What does yeah. he I actually think... do for France? I'd pick Intermac. I think Intermac's a pretty cool dude. Mm. I think I suppose they're all out halves, aren't they? <laughs> I think they'd probably follow it from a coach's point of view because the coach has the overall. Um, visualization of how he wants the team to play on an international level and you've got a lot of different personalities at the top level such as Eddie Jones and Lauren Gatlin's and now Steve Hansen in the past um, kind of transitioning there we, we we talked about Warren Gatland earlier uh, what, what what's your thoughts on Stephen Borthwick coming in with the England setup do you think he'll do a good job there yeah, um, it's pretty exciting actually with um, with his coaching uh, coaching uh, side as well, um, especially with like Marcus Smith and some of the Harlequins lads having um, um, oh, gone blank. Sorry, um, sorry having, sorry. having uh, the the attack coach um, Nick Evans. Nick Evans, yeah, sorry, um, I always go blank. Um, but yeah, having Nick Evans there. Um, yeah, being the attack coach is it's going to be very interesting. I think um, having that, like what Warren Gatlin's got, somebody fresh, somebody new is coming in, so the excitement's going to be there. And this is going to be their first campaign in like was it five years that they've had a new face there, maybe even more. Yeah. Um, so it'd be yeah, be exciting. I think the England team would be be raring to go for the for the first game, especially it'd be in Scotland as well. Yeah, there's a lot of history there. Do you think that? Do you think though that there'll be much difference in the in the? I mean, the reason Steve Borthwick and Everything Eddie Jones being fired, do you think there'll actually be a, a lot of difference in their coaching style? Because obviously Steve Borthwick was playing a long time or coaching a long time under Eddie at Japan and then he moved over to the to England with Eddie at the same time as the Fords coach, um, or the line out coach there. Do you think he will have a largely different impact on that England side or do you think his experience at Leicester will help him to bring in something new and fresh? Um, yeah, definitely uh, new and fresh. I think he um, he will understand what the England um, 
yeah, what the England way is of yes, they're gonna they're gonna try and beat teams up, but also they have the ability to play rugby like we saw against New Zealand. There was elements in that New Zealand game where they could attack from absolutely anywhere. They looked so good with ball in hand, but also they 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 can um play the hard yards as well and just take the ball uh, forward and the way Leicester play as well. Um they 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 play a good kicking game and internationally now it is like for example some like france they they do kick a ball a lot but it's knowing when you get the ball back when to attack and that's why i think england will probably bring is and same what leicester did last year is yes they kick the ball a lot but when the time is right can they attack and can they attack the way like they did um like england did against new zealand and just shift the ball to space and utilize um a little bit of space to get the offloads to um, and then play through the line then so I think it's just getting that balance right and I think yeah Borthwick is, is going to be uh, yeah it's going to be interesting to see how how he, how he does that and I think he did it well with um, with Leicester so it'll be, be interesting to see how he does it with uh, England A while ago there Ben you mentioned uh, Roby Bricks and Peter Brian and then now you're on with new and fresh so obviously Peter ended up coaching the Melbourne Storm as a skills coach would Ben John have ambitions of coaching a team one day? Oh, um, yeah. So um, maybe one day when I'm a little bit older, I'm still still hanging on to the fact that if I was still playing, I'd still have a few years left in in the in the legs. So, um, uh, but yeah, to be honest, I, I had a thought about this a few few literally last year actually. About this time last year, I was doing a lot more like um coaching with like teams and trying to get up like the the, the professional team ladder type of thing. Um and I just thought which way do I want to go with this um with with a rugby trainer. And I just thought that I really do like the grassroots side of things. Um and just because that's one thing I'm really passionate about is yeah just getting people moving, getting them out, getting throw the ball around one thing as a kid one of my highlights looking back on my rugby career is going down the park with my brother and sister with my uh, with my dad and he just used to do some rugby skills with us and tennis ball catching and I think that's what I'm trying to do with the rugby trainer so if I can do this for another five few, 10 years or whatever and then I'm still going to be young still going to be like 41 and then but then I can hopefully then maybe go and coach a team or, or whatever when, when I have kids myself I'll probably coach their team type of thing so um, at the moment, I want to stick with individual skill and helping the grassroots. So I, I still coach some professional players, like individually. Uh, they'll come to me and I'll do some individual skills with them, passing, um, like tackle technique or, um, yeah, that sort of thing. Um, but I would go on. And if there were like um, a semi-pro or academy player trying to break in, like what would it look like if I signed up for the rugby trainer for a month? What? What would happen? Um, so, so I have a couple of like offerings, but if if it was a semi pro, I would do it face to face to get a lot more out of it. And as well as that, I would um, because they would have footage as well. So, what I would look at then is if they did send me the footage over, we'd go through. If it was a winger, I've done, I've coached a few wingers and back three players. How can we get you in the game? You're the fastest guy in the pitch. How can we get you in the game a little bit more? How can we get more ball in your hand and also what are you doing in certain situations um skill wise that we can work on and we can develop and, and adapt so um and obviously we look at the tackle technique um so that that is what i would do i would i would 
do the Zoom sessions and go through the, the footage like this um, over Zoom and we'd have a chat about it. And what I would do, either a face-to-face -face session or I would give them a program. I'll be like a PT type of program, but it would be like, right, this is your extras, I call it. These are the, this is a 10-minute session I want you to do at the end of your team session. Grab a partner, grab a scrum off or whatever and work on this little element here. And this is our focus for the next four weeks and we'll see if it comes into into practice in your training team sessions and then can we then push it into your into your into your game scenarios so that's what i i do at the moment with um some of the the semi pro players it's it's interesting that you have a very grassroots uh approach and point of view to then help bring players into the game there what what um what would be maybe your your dream player to coach uh in terms of a, a professional level, if you if you had to have one player come to you and say, "Look, Ben, I want you to coach me for the next three months, work on my skills," who, who would that player be? Ooh, um, I do enjoy coaching back three. Um, I, I used to love high ball stuff, and so if someone like um, Zama dropped me a message and said, "Oh, mate, can you uh, help me with?" Uh, doing some high balls or getting into game a little bit more attack technique or whatever i'll be like yeah mate keen um just because i find the back three so exciting because i i even though i was a 13 i played a lot at um wing and the way i used to play is how can i get involved in the game and i used to try and look for ins and outs of inside tens and outside twelves and that sort of thing on on the shoulder of nines and how we can get into the middle of the pitch um and yeah, find your way through through the, uh, the the players who are a bit tired and a bit um, um, weary towards the end of the game. And that's that's the things that I like to to, to focus on, especially like high ball as well. I love that that element as well. And I, I saw that you had obviously you spoke about Marcus Smith there. I saw you had O'Driscoll in mm. your on one of your YouTube videos. What what does it look? What is the process of getting Marcus Smith or O'Driscoll? What's the process of like going from like just being the rugby trainer and getting <laughs> one of these guys into one of your videos and doing a collaboration? How do, how does that process look like? Oh, uh, type person used to be. Yeah, sorry. Um, so the process would be it's different ways because um, at the moment I, I'm working with. Um, so the Brian O'Driscoll one was through BT Sport. So I had a um, a conversation with BT Sport and they said, uh, we've got Brian O'Driscoll free for X amount of time. Do you want to film content with uh, with him? Um, and I was like, yeah, cool. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You didn't you didn't have to pay for that or anything? <laughs> no, nothing. So um so yeah, currently at the moment, what um happens is I either work with brands or with businesses like bt sport prem sport and i yeah i'd film content like i've been to bath a few weeks ago and i'd film content for bt sport and prem rugby um promoting their game so it'd be like a bath game this weekend but i'll be filming content to try and because all my content i try to make sure it's educational entertaining and like inspirational as well so those are the three things that every, every piece of content tries to have and as long as it fits with that and the way i like to film then um, having that opportunity to film with those players and getting those tips from from them, yeah, I, I don't get, um, I don't have to pay for it. We we work a we work a deal out that suits both, and then um, I get yeah, access then to the players, um, which is yeah priceless and yeah, it's been amazing the last the last 
year has been incredible. The players I've actually had to to um yeah to do some content with has been amazing. That's unreal, yeah. Marcus Brian Driscoll, I suppose <laughs> everyone would want to do that. Yeah, um, oh, just yeah, amazing. <laughs> I was just there and just asking him one question. And he just yeah, it was, his knowledge is incredible. Ah, oh, uh, not to backtrack too much, but a while ago you said that you like uh, coaching back three players. Do you see a future in rugby where, like in the NFL, they're position specific, so you'd have a wide receiver coach, a running back coach, quarterback coach. Do you see a future in rugby where there's back three, centre, out half, scrum half? I know we have forwards and backs. But do you mm. see a future where there's position-specific coaching? Um, yeah, so it's, recently there's um, there's been a lot of like skills coaches. Like you said, um, Peter Breen, he's a skills coach. Um, um, Bruce Rehan is now a skills coach. So I think they're starting to in, invest in those type of things. But um, with the, um, like, for, if I look, I think of someone like Ospreys, they they would have a backs coach, but also they would have coaches from the academy that would also double up and do work with the first team as well. And like someone like James Hock is at uh, the Ospreys and he would do a little bit more with, with the centers maybe or the outside halves working on that and he'd also probably help out with a with someone who's playing fullback a young fullback so the, 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 it does happen but it's not like specifically that's their role but they will help out in a, a, a areas that maybe need a little bit more attention or a bit more detail yeah and do you think um do you think it'd be overkill if it did go to that level that it was a one-to-one coach practically that you had an out half coach do you think that's overkill for rugby, or do you think in twenty years' time it could be a thing? Yeah, I think I think out half would be um, would that like if, for example if you had in five years' time some like Sexton working with uh, Leinster on the outside halves, then yeah, that's that would definitely be worth every penny. Um, so as long as the the finances then the game keeps growing and there's money there to do it, then I don't see it. Um, yeah, not 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 being a reason to do it especially a position like that that's so specialist and and needs a lot of experience and a lot of decision making um i think that would and obviously is technical as well with the kicking element side of it so that may yeah maybe but having like a left wing uh left wing yeah. coach maybe maybe not so um <laughs> yeah you probably have a, like in pockets centers back yeah but um i would say definitely outside half even even at the moment i think there's definitely outside half like coaches there kicking coaches and and like neil jenkins for wales does a lot of that so um um so it's definitely that role there but i wouldn't say specifically no yeah so maybe hooker out half whatever yeah yeah very specific ones all (laughs) right so um that'll be the end of the general chat here so we kind of like to do a quick fire round now towards the end so hamish should kick that off yeah so obviously you know uh ben we sent in some fan questions and we'll mix in some of our own questions there. We've got the list up and uh, we'll kick it off with some quick fire. So my first question, which is one from one of the fans, who, in your opinion, is one of the, is the greatest coach of all time? Oh, greatest coach of all time. Um, greatest coach of all time. Um, that's a great question. I'm going to say this is supposed to be quick fire sorry um i'm going to say um oh, there's two on my mind both kiwis i'm gonna go warren gatlin's gotta be up there absolute 
yeah, class with Wales and obviously the Lions, he, he did really well. Um, and also, um, oh, I've gone blank again, but um, just won the uh, World Cup of the Women's as well. I forgot his name. Sorry. Wayne Smith. Wayne Smith, yes. He would uh, definitely be, uh, I'm terrible with names. So yeah, he'd definitely be uh, one of the best. Um, yeah, one of the best. Definitely them with them too. So what's the three key attitudes for a successful team? Three key attitudes. So um three key attitudes. I would say it would be um work ethic for one another, honesty, and um cohesion with you playing at uh 13th which i'm guessing is preferred position who would be your dream backline uh of all time dream backline oh i would have um aaron smith aaron smith nine um quay cooper 10 <laughs> this is a um i would go for sunnyville 12 I'll be picking lines off him. 13. Uh, Shane Williams on the wing. I would be going for... Oh. Back. Fall back. Oh. Fall back. This is a tough one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Liam Williams, uh, 15. Class. Uh, good mate. And he's uh, world class. And then... On the wing, I would say, um, oh, so many good players. Um, I'm going to go for, um, oh, my God, I'm killing this. Uh, I'm going to go Penno for France. He's on fire. Man can't stop scoring. Normally we have a question, uh, character or Wilkinson. You kind of turn that out of the water. So who's the best <coughs> out half of all time? Ooh. Um, Dan Carter. Epic. Yeah. Uh, this is another fan question. What is your max squat, bench and deadlift? Oh, what's my max bench? Max bench. Um, one. I did 130 for one. Um, max squat, ooh, one sixty maybe for one, all the way down, and deadlift. Oh, I don't know, broken back. Um, what was my max deadlift? I don't know, probably two ten. I think I've done in back in my playing days when I was a lot heavier. Now I probably get about one sixty out. I think. Um, but yeah. I wasn't much for the in the gym. Toughest opponent. Toughest opponent. Good question. Um, I remember playing Leinster away and being in and around the ruck, and Sean O'Brien just virtually just threw me around as if I was a, I was just a teddy bear. Who just just swung his arm like that, and I just yeah went absolute miles. And so after that, I don't think I went into a ruck. So um, yeah, I'd probably say him. What are the three main areas that make a successful player? 
three main areas to make a successful player. Um, physical attributes, so being like very athletic, whether that's to suit the position. If you're forward, being big, powerful, strong, agile, that um, definitely helps. Um, attitude as well. Um, I would say student attitude. So meaning always wanting to learn. That's why like someone like Aaron Smith is so incredible. He's at the end of his, towards the end of his career and he's always trying to learn, always trying to, to get better. Um, there's one or two videos I posted and he was like, yep, just added that to my training schedule. And I was like, man, Aaron Smith is, is still like doing, picking up little tips here, there on social media, trying to improve his game. So that is incredible. So I would say, yeah, like a student of the game type of thing, uh, attitudes, um, athleticism. And the, and the last one then would be just pure determination, just grit, determination. Um, because, yeah, it's, yeah, where they, oh, I'll finish it there. I don't want to carry on. <laughs> what key behavior has had the biggest impact on your life off the pitch? Key, well, my personal behavior. Yeah, what key behavior that you have that impacted your life the most off the pitch? Um, one thing I'm good at is being like, like consistent, and whether I'm tired or I'll just show up. So I've got a, I think it's definitely something I picked up from rugby. It's just having the ability just to keep going and just keep grafting. Doesn't matter how you feel, and that's something I definitely put down to to rugby and uh, growing up from young age through through sport and rugby and trying to be better every day. So. Definitely the, the consistency side of it. And what is which team right now do you think has the best defence in the world? And which team do you think has the best offence in the world in international or club level? Best off best offence has got to be Ireland. Just every everything is just pulling strings and everyone knows what they're doing. Um, I luckily went over to to Leinster to film some content out there and speaking to um Kaylan Doris, uh, Sheehan, and Jimmy O'Brien. And it's so interesting to hear from them how much they practice as forwards, just three on twos and pulling the ball back and different plays after after sessions, how comfortable they all are passing the ball off both hands and everyone knows what they're doing. So I would say uh, Ireland for attack defence-wise. Defence-wise, I'm going to... France defence is, is very good. Just obviously... Um, Sean Edwards is over there and the way he has transformed um, the defence to make their attack so strong um, it's yeah it kind of works hand in hand there that their defence is, is is forcing teams to kick the ball and kick the ball poorly and then that's when I mentioned earlier that they can just transition then into attack and they've got that back three they're just carving through and Dupont then picking up some fives and seven pointers so um, I would say their, their defence the last question, who was your sporting hero growing up? Oh, sporting hero. Um, my hero as a rugby player, firstly, would be Conrad Smith um, as a youngster. Just, he wasn't like, yeah, just the snake, yes. He was just, yeah, incredible. He just so intelligent with the game and he, he didn't, he wasn't like super athletic, but what he, he was just steps ahead of everyone. So him as a rugby player and as a sports person, um, oh, I had, had a few growing up, obviously. Um, I was a bit, 
No, I'm going to say Conrad Smith. Yeah, definitely. Him, him, him and uh, Brian O'Driscoll were up there. Obviously, James Huck as well. Mostly centres, them, them three, really. Well, that's yeah. the end of the uh, quick fire round there. And uh, what what we always like to ask uh, the last question on the podcast to our to our guests is if you had one piece of advice for your eighteen year old self, what would it be? One piece of advice for my eighteen year old self would be um, one thing I wasn't very good at was like the communication side of it and like communicating how I feel as well. So that that's one thing I, I I can easily just switch off and just grind it out. And there's a few times I've picked up injuries because I haven't said anything type of thing. Um, like I remember I broke my hand, uh, bone in my hand and I didn't say anything to the physios. And I just carried on playing. Um, and that had an effect on me then for, I was out for a little bit longer than I should have been. And that happened a few times and don't know where it came from, but um yeah, communicating is definitely something I, I I need to get better at and I'm working on. And that's why I do a lot of journaling as well to try and figure out what my emotions are. Cause um yeah, literally not very good at them. Like happy, sad, crying, that's all I, I, I know really. Um so yeah, I'm trying to learn that much more. So that would be my um advice for my younger self. Well, Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast and You've been a great. I, I think you're going to do great things with the the loose head boys. I've no doubt. And uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed the time and had the chance to get to know you even in more depth and ask you some questions. No, thanks for having me on. Uh, I both, I uh, really appreciate it. And it's been yeah, great to chat and uh, haven't had a chat like this in a long time. So it's uh, it's great to meet you both. And uh, same with you two. Lo- loving the pod and keep 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 going. Thanks, Ben. Cheers, lads. And where where could the audience find you there if they wanted to uh, on Instagram? So yeah, find me at the Rugby Trainer, and that's on all platforms. So I've got um, TikTok. That's probably where you've seen me, Adam, all the time. YouTube, TikTok, <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, everything really. LinkedIn, whatever. Just the Rugby Trainer, um, and I've also got a Skills Academy, which um, it is a virtually sessions every week spend 10 minutes doing x spend 10 minutes doing y on your own get the ball in your hand get to a park get down the garden or whatever and just do these skills i'll give you feedback as well so it's, it's a lot of interaction um it's definitely worth having a look at so that's this that's the rugby trainer.com then so um all everything's the rugby trainer well you guys know where to find ben the rugby trainer online now so be sure to give him a follow and be sure to check out the Champagne Rugby podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and we also have our YouTube channel going now. And if you have any queries with recruitment or any sort of rugby recruitment, be sure to check out our page, uh, Wolfpack Rugby Recruitment there, and we'll be able to sort you out and get you into the amateur clubs and everything over there. It's been a great podcast, and we'll see you next week. Thanks very much.